Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. And we're in for extra time! Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time, I'm Stephen Hewson. This week we're asking, are red cards ruining rugby? And pity the Pumas, it's over a year since they had a test and they take on the All Blacks in Sydney this weekend as the All Blacks look to atone for their lacklustre performance against Australia. We also talked to Honey Hiromi Smiler, who after almost 20 years of international rugby league and union is calling it quits. And we hear from Sir Brian Williams about Moana Pacifica. Think twice about that next time. Oh. Doesn't look good. No, it doesn't look good. It's direct contact to the chin of the ball carrier, and I don't see that there's a significant drop in the body height of the ball carrier for there to be any mitigation. Okay, it's a red card. Well, red cards dominated last weekend's Brisbane test with both the All Blacks and Wallabies having players sent off. Offer Tuanga Farsi and Lockie Swinton both got their marching orders for high tackles. No one's questioning the need for safety around high shots, but what about the impact on the game when red cards are dished out? Does there need to be another way? Well, joining us on Extra Time this week is the former All Blacks coach Laurie Maines, Wellington Pride player Alice Soper and journalist Hamish Bidwell. Welcome to you all. Laurie, maybe if we start with you, well, rugby's obsessed with about being seen to punish high tackles, and rightly so, but but is it getting it right? Uh, no, in my opinion, they're not. You know, let, let, let's look at those two last week as examples. I don't think either of those players were going in aiming for the head. They were a little bit high, yes, and there needs to be some punishment for that because you can call that careless. But here's my big issue with these red cards. They're not only punishing the player, they're punishing the team and they're punishing the millions of spectators who actually pay for the game to be played, pay for the referees. You look at it any other way you like. Now, I like the way rugby league does it. Put a player on report. A sin bin, fair enough. I, I, can, I can handle 10 minutes of a yellow card. doesn't necessarily spoil the game. Uh, but I think where red cards are involved, that a player should go on report and then be punished after the game. It's spoiling rugby for all of us that want to watch really good contests. In a way, we were lucky last week that Australia lost a player as well, so it evened it up. You'd like to see something similar to what operated in Super Rugby Aotearoa, basically a sin binning uh, and then a team lost a, a player for 20 minutes uh, if it was a red card, and then you could actually replace the, the player after after 20 minutes, and, and that player was then, like you say, put on a, a report-type system. Yeah, well, a, play, a game can be lost in 20 minutes. 10 minutes is, is hard enough to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I really like the on-report, and then it's the player himself that gets penalised. 
The I think there's been some commentary from the northern hemisphere that that an approach like that tends to uh, encourage cynical play. Oh, that, look, no one's going to look. I just oppose that. Having coached rugby players for years and and played myself, that is just nonsense. I don't believe that players in a test match, in particular, would go out there and commit cynical play that's going to put them in the in the uh, bin for 10 minutes, but is also going to result in a month or two-month suspension after the game. No player's going to do that for the sake of injuring one of the opposition. That is just Northern Hemisphere nonsense. Alice, your thoughts on, on how things panned out at the weekend and I suppose that, that wider aspect of the, of the red card system. Well, look, I think um, the the diatribe that went against the referees was unfair because what they were doing was putting into place what had been set up by World Rugby. So if people are having issues with the cards, they need to be going to World Rugby to have to complain about it because that's how they've laid things out. Uh, in terms of the high tackles, look, I'm not necessarily that opposed to us doing that. I think there's always an adjustment period. They had uh, Every time they bring in a new rule, it takes us a period of time to get used to adjusting technique and changing muscle memory to you know conduct ourselves accordingly. I always have more of an issue with the um, leading forearm because I think that's pretty virtually impossible to to uh, amend um, and the red card that you can cop for that now there was a young US prop who on debut got um, binned playing against New Zealand uh, because she chucked a forearm up to defend herself in contact and then boom where away she went so look it's hard because a lot of the time I feel like we have to be able to um, look at also intent um, is this a mistake is this you know, that first one, I was watching it back, it seemed like he actually wasn't expecting him to come his way, so he didn't adjust his height, boom, there you are. Um, it's, it's laziness, it's not malicious. And so if it's laziness rather than malicious, I think red cards are pretty harsh. A, a red card, I feel like, should be something that's for dangerous and intentionally dangerous cynical um, behaviour because the impact is so great. So for me, it's about making sure that that's something when people have really done wrong and have intentionally done so, then that's when we should be throwing those type of cards at them. But in terms of how the refs did it on Saturday, they were following the rules. So like I say, people need to be petitioning World Rugby rather than the local referees. Hamish, intent doesn't actually come into it though, does it? No, we used to have the same cobblers with things like rucking. People would get stomped and people go, oh, that's not a stomp. See, his foot's slightly moving backwards. It's not moving forward. And there's a clear <laughs> distinction. Like, you can't, intent doesn't come into it. Um, there has to be a deterrent to high tackles and governing bodies of sports where there is contact need to be on the right side of history. And the more we learn about brain injury and the more we see um, the trauma that players go through in games, the more we have to protect players from these sort of instances. I, I'm not a Wales. I'm 45. I grew up with this kind of stuff. Like, I, in my heart of hearts, I want the game to be tough. But it's not safe anymore, and I think we have to adapt to that. And I don't yeah, – the intent thing is cobblers. If you hit someone high, that's fine. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll go back to junior rugby, which I coach. Um, you're taught to tackle cheek to cheek. You can't fend over the nipple line, which is the chest. You can't tackle over the nipple line. The game isn't worse for that. Do you know what I mean? If we don't tackle people in the head in test matches, the game, the product won't suffer. We get it a bit sanitised on TV. We think it's not as rough and as physical as it is. But if you stand on the sideline, the game is hellishly fast. It is hellishly physical. And we don't need headshots to make it any better. The game would be fine if people tackled each other around the waist or around the hips. That would be fine. I just think that, as I say, 
there's so much like, rugby can't um, they can't absorb a class action from players who have been not looked after by their governing bodies and have suffered brain injuries and brain damage. Do you know what I mean? Like, I understand that the game's different. I understand it's not the game that it was when Laurie coached. I understand it's not the game that I grew up watching myself, but it has to change because it couldn't stay how it is because we know too much now about brain trauma. I agree with those sentiments 100%, but I, I believe there is a better way to, to punish the player rather than punish the whole team. Even, but it's a good deterrent, if, isn't it? If, if they know, Laurie, that the red card is there, they won't tackle. I mean, it's, it'll take time for people to adapt, and we need consistency. We didn't. So we, they tried to do this at the World Cup last year, and it didn't. wasn't applied across yeah, the board. Some guys were sent off, some weren't. If it's applied consistently, people will realise that they can't tackle high, and okay, the game will be better for it. OK, send that player off, but allow the opposition to bring another player on uh, after 10 minutes or whatever, because we don't want to see... Test matches ruined. I agree with all the sentiments of both other speakers on this, 100%. But I don't like to see vital test matches, or any test matches, a critical game, don't like to see them ruined because a player makes a mistake. A high shot, Laurie. Uh, you know, it's, high tackles have always been illegal and, and, and by the laws. So, so are things getting worse? Are we seeing more of them? I mean... W- no, no, we're not. They're, look, uh, in my day when I played, they were part of the course and it was leading arms and elbows and, and forearms um, and, and there, there was no genuine attempts to keep them down at all but it's all changed and changed for the better um, and, and I agree with that the head is, we used to say this when I was coaching, head is sacrosanct nobody goes near the head uh, in rucks or tackles or anything we, we, it was a rule in the te- all of the teams that I coached so the crackdown is coming because of the policing of the laws? That's that's why we're seeing more red cards? Or are we seeing more red cards, do you think? I mean, because obviously you talk about the impact that a red card has on a match. And Stephen, you can't shoulder people straight in the head. Dead set. No, you no, that's can't. what I'm saying. So whether you meant to, whether yep. you are trained to, whether you're coached to, whether you're, you're pushing a line, whether there's some cynicism about it or there's no cynicism about it, whether it's a pure accident, you cannot make direct contact with your shoulder to someone's head. And if you do that, you're going to go. And people need to understand that. So what? And, so, and, so why is it being, being more of an issue now? I suppose is my question. Because they have, they've, they've changed the way they're enforcing it. So I can tell you, as a player, we're now told you know seat belts are out. When I started, that was no drama. You know, a lot of the time when you're chasing someone down, you chuck the arm over the top, the other one around the bottom, boom, there you go. But you're not allowed to do that anymore because the risk of that slipping up into head into neck is is a no go. So seat belts are out. Uh, like we're saying, that, that slip up. So now if you start on shoulder line and slip up, you're also going to get penalised for that. So it's things, It's like I say, it's this bedding in period that we always have around law changes. It was the same when we changed our scrum laws and we had to adjust to the, the new calls there. I mean, man, I still get some of the old ones, depends who's taking the scrum session at training. Um, but you, it takes a little bit of time to adjust. But I do think if you look at the trajectory over time, I mean, I was watching State of Origin this week and watching State of Origin, I'm like, gee, piz, some of the hits that you're seeing there, they just feel dangerous. And it's, you know, it might have been a time that 10 years ago or whatever it was when I watched both and I'd be like, oh, yeah, here we go, get in. But now it just makes me feel uncomfortable to see heads snapping back like that. I don't believe there would be any coach worth his salt that would encourage players to tackle anywhere near the head. I, I just... You know that I just don't believe that any coach would do that. Mm. Laurie, is there a change in technique? But, but, Stephen, legs, legs tackles and waist tackles are discouraged though now, aren't they? Because there's a, there's a desire to wrap up the, the, the ball and to try and 
create what they call a dominant tackle and hit someone and, and, and sort of get them on their back if you can, that sort of thing, so that it slows down the ruck so they can't hit the deck and recycle quickly. So you are taught, are you not, to, to go a bit higher than perhaps was, was previous? Well, tackle on the ball, yes, but that's that's not a high tackle. That's sort of chest height. And, and sure, but you're minimising your margin for error, aren't you, if that's your target? That's the problem. I'll make, com- I'll make a comment about the two shots that we saw that resulted in red cards. Those players went in aggressively to knock the ball carrier over uh, rather than go on the ball and control what he can do with the ball. And maybe that's where a little bit of coaching needs tidied up. But it's a split-second decision that's made by a player. Um, and and, and we, we have to coach that out of them. Where are you, Laurie, on, on the idea of injury? So I've heard people say, well, neither was concussed. Neither of Sam Whitlock and uh, uh, Tom Wright from Australia, neither were concussed by these tackles. No one had their jaw broken. Does, does injury have to come into it? If someone's no, hurt, no. or if they are hurt, the, then the do we potential... do throw the book at them? I don't, I don't see the distinction there, but people were trying to draw no. one. Yeah, well, I, I believe that is wrong. It, it, it's good luck that a player wasn't injured. Yeah. Um, there was no, no design by the tackler. But, so I, I no. The, the degree of injury shouldn't come into it. It's, it's the action that, that comes into it. The, 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 the problem is, uh, it's obviously a hugely physical game. The, and as Laurie mentioned, the split-second nature of, of decisions and, and people changing direction, um, it, it's always going to be there, this problem, though, isn't it? Well, it is if we, if, if we don't coach our players to get lower. When, when, if you watch a player like Michael Jones when he played, when he was in, coming into those sort of situations, he was bent at the waist, and his aim was to drive in to the rib cage and, and secure his tackle that way, and he never missed tackles. And, and I, I guess what we could do as coaches is coach our players not to come into a potential tackle situation standing upright like both of those players were, but get them bent over at the waist mm. where they can drive into the rib cage. Mm. Michael Jones was the best I'd ever seen. At, at that tackle. And believe me, his players, when he tackled them, they never passed the ball on to a support player. That possibly goes back to the point Hamish was making, does it, Laurie, that you, that, that whole wrapping up the ball and all to, to stifle offloading or to recycling? Yeah. Uh, look, I would agree. Uh, I agree with that. Um, as I said, both of those players could have bent at the waist mm. and, and uh, they had time... To do that as as you're approaching a tackle, mm. bend at the waist a bit so you can't go head high. Hey, Mitch, what, what do you think about the 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 idea of I suppose introducing that that Super Rugby Aotearoa approach for twenty minutes? No, 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 no. I think there needs to be deterrent. I think if you hit people flush in the head, you've got to go. I, I genuinely stand by that, and I, I don't have this idea that you know spectacles are ruined or you know people's hard-earned money is thrown down the drain because someone got sent off. Someone got sent off because they broke the laws of the game and they had to be upheld by the referee. And I, I stand by that. One thing I would like to divert to slightly is mouth guards. The science yes. proves that wearing a mouth guard is absolutely your best deterrent to head trauma. And there are all blacks not wearing mouth guards who are meant to be wearing mouth guards. And this, I get this cob as well, oh, I can't breathe or it just feels uncomfortable. That's great. But you're getting paid a big whack and you need to wear a mouth guard because you can't tell little Johnny on Saturday, he's not where, he doesn't have, he has to wear a mouth guard if Artie Savier or... Dane Coles and others don't bother to wear them themselves. You know, what I mean, I think that's 
that's they have if they want to be seen to be doing something and be putting mouth guards in mouths to be honest uh laurie just uh, on to to the rugby uh the pumas i mean have they got a show this weekend at all it, i mean i'm it, it, it seems t- it's tough no, tough going they haven't got a show and and they just haven't been playing the right level of rugby they haven't been playing together as a team they'll be they'll they'll give it hell for 20 minutes but they're going to be off the pace both as a combination and the intensity of of playing top level rugby it's a bit of an unfair matchup i think but can't be avoided in these times Hamish Bidwell, Laurie Maines, Alice Soper, thank you very much for your time on Extra Time. Well, the seventh World Cup was just a bridge too far for retiring Kiwi fern Honey Hirami Smiler, the Crosscode Stars, hanging up her footy boots after nearly 20 years as an elite athlete. And with four Rugby League World Cups and a rugby and a Rugby Sevens World Cup behind her as well. Hirami Smiler's mum died last year and she nearly gave up her career at that point. But she made it back for the Kiwi Ferns' only international rugby league test this year before signing off. She reflected on her career with Felicity Reid. I definitely wanted to stick around for that Rugby League World Cup. But again, the injuries and that sort of played a big part in my decision. I suppose also, you know, family, especially because everything's so uncertain. Though the Rugby League World Cup is still on the calendar for October next year, there's no guarantee. And I just, for me, was like, look, do I put myself through another five months of pretty rigorous training and discipline and all the rest of it for a competition that may or may not happen. I mean, I'm confident that it will, but also just the way that I was playing the game, it wasn't to my own standard. You know, as as I've aged, I probably am not as explosive and as fast as I wanted to be. And so I just felt like I wanted to leave on a high and not sort of hang on to something that, you know, eventually was going to catch up with me. Given the type of year that you had last year, was there a little bit of a determination for you to not stop at that point? Yes. Definitely I had no plans on stopping last year um, because most of my mum had said that I needed to, to keep going, you know, because I trained so hard last year and throughout her illness and caring for her, I was training um, with the mindset that I would get back out on the field and I knew that that's what mum wanted and that's also what I wanted too with a big year last year although I'm missing RLW went, I went straight into the uh, World Cup 9s team I uh, had the honour of captaining the Kiwi Ferns for that in the test match following so it was probably a big process in terms of helping me uh, go through my own grief process Um was getting back out on that field um, and doing what I know Mum would have wanted me to do. And there are a number of new names in the Kiwi Ferns for the um, match against Samoa and a number of players that didn't have that much um, rugby league experience. Do you think there's going to be enough time for the Kiwi Ferns to put together a competitive side for the World Cup? Yeah, well, I think that the players that have been selected... Uh, they were they were selected on performance. I mean, they've stood out throughout the premiership and championship competitions that have been running prior to that test match. They earned themselves selection, and then they proved really what they could do on the international international stage in terms of test match footy against the Samoa on Saturday. And um, I've spoken about it a lot this week. The the evolution of the game comes with this new talent that's come through. 
and also the leadership that they've got there. I have no doubt that the coaching and management team will bring them up to speed in terms of uh, that elite athlete space and, and what they need to do in order to win a World Cup. So I have full confidence that the girls that are coming through are ready for that World Cup. You um, picked up the nickname Honey Bill with reference to Sunny Bill Williams. Um, how did that sit with you? Well, I didn't get a choice in the matter, really. Uh, when they're, unfortunately, when they're labelled with something and just kind of sticks. Sunny Bill's always been uh, somewhat of a role model or idol for me in the way that he uh, carries himself professionally and also the, what he does off the field in terms of being a family person, you know, who connects with his culture really well. So it's been somewhat of a privilege to, to carry that label um, all those comparisons with Sunny Bull and it's the comparisons I think that really labelled it both being uh, I suppose cross-coders in terms of that being regularly. And what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen in women's sports since you started getting involved? Yeah, there's been huge changes. I think what I'm more excited about is the visibility of the women's game now in terms of the coverage that it's getting and it shows that there's a real genuine value and a thirst, I suppose, there for female sports to be seen. And not only that, it creates a platform for these young players coming through. Now, you know, when I when I was young, I didn't get to see all these female athletes on TV that I could aspire to. But now there's so much female sports being seen on TV that young girls can aspire to be like. And I think that's just so important. And um, how will you be keeping active and can we expect to see you playing another sport? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just enjoying this first, what am I, on day three of retirement. I will be honest and say I've already eaten a whole packet of biscuits last night for dinner. That was nice, but I mean, I, I'm not jumping into anything too quickly. I would like to maybe look at something around some individual sports, maybe athletics and running and um, I've, all, I've kind of enjoyed squash in the past as well, but yeah, it'll be nothing sort of strenuous. I have been asked to do the um, coast to coast, which I've flat out uh, refused. <laughs> I'm not doing anything crazy like that, that's for sure. That was Honey Hiromi Smiler talking with Felicity Reid. Super Rugby side and waiting, Moana Pacifica have taken another step towards reality with the announcement they'll play the Māori All Blacks next month in Hamilton. The game will be on December the 5th. Moana Pacifica will be coached by former All Black captain Tana Umanga and include players of Pacific heritage and made up of current and former international players. Moana Pacifica, which is Auckland-based, uh, one of the two Pacific franchises set to join a New Look Super Rugby competition in 2022 in a 12-team format. The second franchise is Fiji-based. The Moana Pacifica patron is Sir Brian Williams. The former All Black told Brenton Van Nistelrooy the matches of great significance to the Pacifica community. So many of the Pacifica players uh, are right behind uh, that initiative. They they can see that um, that that's another opportunity uh, for them. Um, as you know, Brenton, I I used to coach the um, Samoan national team and back in 1995 uh, when rugby went professional, the, the Pacific Islands were, were left out of of um, mainstream professional rugby. So it's been a, a bit of a grievance, I guess, I've had and others have had uh, for 25 years. So if that were to happen, that, that would certainly be great. And 
I think it would give you know so many players an opportunity to play in a top level professional competition, and then to feed back into the national teams of uh, uh, Tonga, Samoa, and, and Fiji. Have you seen any opposition from the established Super Rugby sides to this? Maybe the fact that they could lose players to Moana Pacifica. Oh, there is um, that that feeling amongst some, but um, I think there's a bigger picture in, in play here. It, it's going to uh, create a bigger uh, pool of players. It's going to create a bigger uh, pool of, of supporters, and that's going to be for the benefit of everyone. And based in Auckland? Well, in South Auckland, uh, probably. Um, you know, Auckland's the biggest Polynesian city in the world, so um, why not? Yeah, for for commercial reasons, does it make the most sense as well? Was it was it too difficult to be based somewhere in the islands? I think so. Although um, there has been talk, obviously, of of a franchise being set up in Fiji, and and I certainly hope that comes off as as well. And with Tana coaching, can, can you think of anyone better to be the the first coach of Moana Pacifica? Well, he he was the first uh, uh, Pacifica player to captain. Uh, the All Blacks, and um, no, I can't. I, I think it's totally appropriate, and um, he'll be joined, hopefully, by other um, uh, Pacifica uh, coaches of, of note, and, and, and the team will be selected uh, by those people as well. Is, is the team likely to be featuring players that currently play for other Super Rugby franchises? Are you allowed to, or what's the story there? Well, I think this particular game would, would allow that possibility, but in terms of um, going forward for a, a, a super rugby team, um, there'll be criteria, I guess, laid down as to um, which players can be selected. And but, wh- but the the overriding um, aim is, is to improve uh, the, the standards of the national teams of, of Samoa, Tonga and Fiji. Yeah, and you think this will have that direct impact? Well, most certainly it will because, um, you know, it's, it's going to improve the standard of all these players playing top-level uh, rugby uh, week, week to week. And um, and that's only going to be uh, for the betterment of, of those national teams as well. And if that is the case, uh, just imagine um, an, an international competition in, in this neck of the woods. It's, it's truly competitive. That's Moana Pacifica patron and former All Blacks of Brian Williams talking to Brenton Van Nisselrooy. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time. My thanks again to Laurie Maines, Hamish Bidwell and Alice Soper. Extra Time's available every Friday from about 4pm. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, iHeartRadio and, of course, rnz.co.nz. Give us a rating if you would. That helps a whole lot and means other listeners can find us much more easily. I'm Stephen Pearson. Ka kite anō. of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.